Well, good morning, and uh, my name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today, especially if you're a guest. I just want to send a warm welcome to you. Thanks for checking things out. And we are in this series called It's Complicated. Why? Because when people are involved, it always is. Dating relationships are complicated. Marriage relationships are complicated. Uh, Parent-child relationships, no matter the age are complicated. Business relationships are complicated. Employee-employer relationships are complicated. Friendships are complicated. Churches filled with people are complicated. I'm complicated. Guess what? You're complicated. And right now, I just thought we'd embrace this, this moment with, uh, let me preface, with joy and love and a smile. Why don't you Turn to the person next to you, whether you know them or not, and say, hey, by the way, you're complicated. Go ahead, do it. Embrace it. This is great. For some of you, you've been waiting to say this all your life. You're like, I love church. Right? Here's what we, we all just get. We, we understand in this moment how complicated we are. Right? We, we just, we're like, yeah, we, we all are complicated. Last week I talked about these eight lenses in which we view and interact with this world, and there's many more than just eight. But we, we highlighted these, uh, uh, these eight, you know, our gender and our culture and our childhood and our personality and our life events and our beliefs and sin. And so we can uh, easily kind of pause and just say, yeah, we get that we're all complicated because all of us are unique in how we see and how we perceive and, and how we were raised and all these different factors come into how we interact with each other. But what happens is as soon as we leave this moment and we start interacting with each other and tension arises, guess what? We just fail to remember that how that person sees is totally different than how I see. How that person perceives is totally different than how I perceive. And that creates a lot of tension, and that's what makes relationships so complicated. Last week, we looked kind of at this uh, moment in the Bible, the kind of creation story, and specifically in Genesis 2 and 3, when God himself plants the garden. He makes this perfect place for man and woman, and it says that he places them in the garden with the goal to have this personal relationship with man and woman. And they start uh, living in the garden, and all of a sudden the serpent starts talking, and Eve starts leaning in to the serpent and starts listening to his words. And all of a sudden they do this, found in Genesis chapter 3. She took some, meaning the fruit, and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, in this one exact moment, their decision, their sin, fractured God's perfect creation. The rhythm in which God created this uh, universe was thrown off rhythm. One sin. You see, we think about this moment when there was only two people, and just with two people on this planet, relationships were complicated. And not only just two people, God had only one rule, one. 
You know, maybe for you, I know sometimes I, I read through parts of the Bible, I'm like, oh man, there's so many do's and don'ts, and ah, how in the world could I ever master all of these? Have you ever felt that way? Guess what? Uh, Adam and Eve lived in a time when there was only one, and they still got it wrong. God had one rule. He said, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one. Eat from anything and everything else. It literally, literally says that God said, eat until you're content. You know, it's this great picture of God being this generous God saying, hey, I've given you so much. Eat, partake, consume, enjoy. Yet, they ate from the one tree. See, the, the, the simple uh, definition of sin or what sin really is, is just saying, hey, God, I know your plans, but I'm going to go my way. Hey, God, I know what you want me to do, but I think uh, what I want to do is better than what you want me to do. Hey, God, I know the guardrails that you have set out for me, but I'd rather set up my own guardrails. God, I understand who you are, but I think that I am better than you. That's sin. It's turning from God and deciding to do your own thing, go your own way. And in that moment, Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. And their sin fractured this universe. And then they did two things right after they consumed the fruit. Two things that it'd be so easy just to read these verses and just plow on through and say, okay, great, and now they're naked, because probably the naked word is what gets all of our attention, like, ah, they're naked. But, you know, it's bigger than just nakedness. They hid and they blamed. The two things they did. They hid from God, but they also hid from each other. And that's the moment of them realizing that they were naked, and they put coverings on. Before that, there was nothing separating them. There's no barriers in between man and woman. And in that moment, when sin entered, they created barriers. And then they started pointing fingers. And you see, we all do that to this day. We do that relationally. We hide and blame. We hide behind text messages and emails. We hide by surrounding ourselves with people so we don't have to deal with that one person that's created so much conflict in our lives. We hide behind our pride and our ego. We hide behind gossip. We hide and we blame. You see, not only are we looking through these lenses in our lives, we have this pane of glass which we also look through for all of us, it looks like this. It's just how we see. And usually, there's people's names associated with every different crack in that pane of glass. Some just little hairline cracks that you barely can see. And some massive fractures. Monday night, 
uh, we were putting uh, our kids to bed. I have a, a almost 11-year-old and a 7-year-old, and my wife and I just every evening we go through this ritual with our kids, and uh, uh, it's kind of a highlight of my evening. And so we were putting our kids to bed, and I put Claire, my youngest one, to bed and go through the ritual, and I walked into Kiara's room, my oldest, and put her to bed, and then Kim and I kind of retreated back to our, our bedroom, and we were just having an offline conversation on something. And the next thing I know, I turn around, and standing in, our, in my doorway is, is my youngest, Claire. And uh, I, I turn around, and it kind of caught me off guard, and I'm like, hey, Claire, what do you need? And it was like a light switch went off on her, and she looked at me, and she screamed, I mean screamed, you love Kiki better than me, and turned around and ran down the hallway. Okay. It's one of those classic guy moments, dad moments. I was like, uh, honey, what did I do? Like, it was like, I was just clueless. I'm just standing there going, uh, what happened? And so I'm looking for my wife to offer some guidance and some support and to go fix it. And she just kind of looked at me. She goes, uh, I don't know what you did. You better go fix it. I'm like, help, help. So I, I make my way down the hallway because she was like, no, 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 no. You honestly, you go figure this out. So I walk into Claire's room. She's laying on her bed. She's heaving. I mean, bawling. She has this massive Disney princess book laying over her face. I mean, on her face, and you just see this thing going up and down. She's heaving and bawling. I take the book off of her face. I'm like, Claire, what's going on? And she wants nothing to do with me. I mean, nothing. So I'm trying to console her. I'm trying to calm her down. I'm trying to be soft and loving, but I'm a pretty stubborn person. So like, there's this resolve of I'm not leaving this room until I figure it out. I'm not saying that's great parenting, but that was just the moment. Finally, I got her calmed down. I'm like, Claire, what is what did I do? Daddy, sorry, what did I do? And this is what came out of her mouth. Dad, you didn't pray with me. You see, every night we have this ritual we go through. Some of them very similar between, or the same between both girls. Uh, Some of them a little different. You see, with Claire, one of those rituals I do with just her uh, is we, we just like, we play karate. I mean, we we kick each other. I mean, with love, but she's that kid. And so like sometimes it goes from karate to WWF. And so that night, literally we're going at it. I mean, my wife's like, oh, your goal, Chris, is to calm the kids down before bed. I'm like, I am, as I'm picking her up, tossing her onto the bed. I mean, we just went all out that night. I mean, it was awesome. And so I finally got her in bed and she was staying in bed. And uh, my wife had left at that point because we were just going at it. And uh, uh, one thing I do with both girls is uh, right before we pray, as I point to the middle of their chest, I've done this since they were the smallest, and, and I point to the middle of the chest, and I go, you're beautiful inside, ups, uh, inside, outside, upside down. I draw this little circle from your tiny little toes to your precious little nose. I do it, I do it every night, because I want my girls to know that they're beautiful, not just on the outside, but who they are on the inside. And so uh, I did that with Claire, and then I walked out of her room forgetting to pray. Why? I, I don't know. I always pray with my girls. But that night, I think it was just like WWF, and we were just having fun and good time, and I did the you're beautiful inside, outside, upside down, from your tiny little toes, your precious little nose. I kissed her on the forehead. I walked out with a smile going, wow, what a great moment. Claire laid in her bed, and you know what she processed? As I walked out of her room, and she saw me walk into Kiara's room, 
and she heard me snuggle up against Kiera because Kiera is in my little ritual. She just lays there. She's ready for bed. Claire is going to be up for another two hours. She's like me. She just doesn't sleep. But Kiera's ready for bed. I snuggle up against uh, Kiera. Claire hears me say, you're beautiful inside, outside, upside down from your channel little toes, your precious little nose. And then Claire hears me pray with Kiki. And she lays in her bed and she goes, why doesn't dad love me? Why didn't dad pray with me? Why does dad like Kiki better than me? You think about that moment. And we all have those moments. And they start fracturing this relational pane of glass that we look through. And we've all had numerous of these moments. Some of them we've forgotten. They're so small, but yet they're hairline cracks. And some of them are massive. And they create massive fractures relationally. There's a guy, his name is John Walker, and he was uh, just critical in a period of my life. He's more than a counselor. I mean, he has his PhD and all of that, but he did so much more for me personally. But uh, he once said these words. Well, God is in the heart-shaping business so much more than God has shaped your heart. See, what God really cares about is who you are on the inside. You know, we all spend so much time focused on the outside, don't we? Our outside persona, what everyone else thinks of us. That's why uh, uh, if you're a parent, uh, maybe it's just me. I don't think I'm the only one who's done this where uh, you're, you're going you know, uh, 12 rounds in your house with your kids, and you're screaming, the kids aren't listening to you, and you're going at it. You get them in the car to come to church, and you're screaming in the car the whole way. And right when you put it in park, and before they open that door, you're like, we're at church, smile. <laughs> right? Because we're coming to church. No one can know that we've had all this struggle this morning. And we care so much about our outside persona, that, that outside picture. And you know what God cares about is who we are on the inside. Because here's what God knows. Who we are on the inside always comes out. Always does. And God wants to shape our heart to reflect his heart. But God also understands there's so many different people and events that are posing, coming at him in the heart-shaping business. There's a kind of double-sided uh, coin of why I love what I do. And uh, it's, it's, there's a both sides to this. On one side, what I love what I do is, is I love helping people. I really do. It's why I'm called to be a pastor, to help people become uh, who God has created them to be. And help navigate through many things like relational tensions. But here's what I, I know. Hurting people hurt people. And that's the flip side of the coin. Is my entire life has been given and is given to help people who also hurt people. And we all, we all do it. Our pride, our ego, our selfishness. Our mouths, our tongue, our gossip, our slander, us talking about people, us powering up and putting people down. 
And what makes relationships complicated is that all of us, to a certain degree, are hurting. We're hurting. And so then we hurt other people. And in the process, those hurting people, guess what they do to us? They hurt us. Jesus, in his kind of great sermon on the mount, it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's going to get right at this whole subject matter on fractured relationships and what to do and how we should view fractured relationships. And he's going to give us some great advice in the process of trying to heal those fractured relationships. He's going to start his teaching in Matthew chapter 5, and I think it's interesting that the, the heading of the section is murder. Like he's just going to set that tension line as tense as it can get. And he's going to use this horrible thought of murder, but he's going to bring it right into our relational world. He says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. And that's, that's critical. Because I, I get for, for some of you, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, is the Bible relevant? Maybe you've had that thought. And maybe another thought attached to is the Bible relevant is, well, it was written so long ago. I mean, the New Testament was written about 2,000 years ago. Like, is it really relevant to me today? Well, Jesus is going to quote their Bible that was written about 1,600 years before he's teaching. And so he's just going to kind of address, hey, you've heard that it was said long ago, you shall not murder. And maybe that line sounds familiar to you. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And so right there, as Jesus was teaching to this uh, multitude of people, this Jewish audience, this Jewish culture, they're going to be leaning in because for them, Moses was the guy. Moses was the guy that led the Israelites out of captivity. Moses was their fearless leader. Moses was the one who received the Ten Commandments from God. And Jesus was like, hey, you, you know what it says, and you know what Moses did, and one of the Ten Commandments was, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's not anything new. We have the same laws today. If you kill someone not out of self-defense, not protecting yourself or your family or someone else, if you kill someone out of vengeance and anger and evil, you will be judged. So he kind of sets this tension point. And he's going to turn the corner. He says this, But I tell you, and that's important, because it might feel like to you, well, is, is Jesus now going to change the law? So, so right, now Jesus is on the scene, so now he can change what has been said, you know, over 1,600 years. Now Jesus, so there's two different things I should believe in the Bible. No, see, Jesus isn't changing the law. He's actually revealing a critical piece to the law. I, I, I see it this way. If you're a parent, if you've ever parent, parented a two-year-old, two-year-old, that would be a really tall two-year-old, two-year-old, uh, they discover candy, and they walk up to you numerous times every day, I want candy. And what do you say to them? No, it's breakfast. Can't have candy. And they kind of go on their way. I want candy. No. I want candy. No. 
Then that two-year-old grows a little older, and they discover uh, another word, why, and they really like that word. And they come up to you and they go, I want candy. No, why? And you give them a reason. Well, it's almost bedtime. I want candy. Why? Well, it's breakfast time. You can't eat candy for breakfast. I want candy. Why? Well, you've already had dessert. So you give them a reason why. And then that three, four-year-old gets older, and they ask for candy, and you start explaining to them, well, candy is made out of refined sugar, and that's not healthy for you. So you can eat fruit. My kids know in our house that they can always eat fruit. That's like the snack they can always go to. But could you imagine with that two-year-old walking up to you saying, I want candy, and you start explaining to the two-year-old that uh, candy's made out of refined sugar and it's not good for them? <laughs> right? They'd be like, huh? What are you t- I just want candy, right? That's all they want. And what Jesus is going to do is he's just going to reveal this, this deeper layer to the law. You see, the law, you shall not murder, was this outward action. Outward. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, there's a deeper piece, another layer to this that I'm going to reveal to you. So he goes, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Because what Jesus knows is whatever has going on inside of you will always come out. Whatever is in your heart will always, always leak out at some point in some fashion. Because you've been focused on, on people murdering this outward action. What I'm telling you is what's going on inside of you. And what's going on inside of you, you will be judged for. He comes out another way. He goes, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. That word Raka was almost like a four-letter word. It was this word of condemnation. It was this word of contempt. It was this word that you would power up and, and look down on people. It was that word that you'd be screaming at someone to put them in their place out of anger and disgust. And he says, if you say that, you're answerable, answerable to the court, which was the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council. And then he goes, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I mean, just sit in that moment. I mean, I mean this is important, right? This is one of these, these deals where, where he starts with murder, and we'd all agree, wow, that's horrible. And then he takes it straight into our heart. All of us have been angry. All of us have screamed at people, have powered up over people, have gossiped about people, have slandered people, have used our words to fracture relationships. All of us have. He goes, guess what? It's the danger of danger of where that leads. Pay attention. This is critical. Because what Jesus understands is what's going on in the inside of our heart. That's the critical place. That's the critical place for us to pay attention to. 
And then he quickly gives us a solution. And he's just assuming, he's just going to assume that we all are going to be at one of these places. (laughs) We're going to scream at someone. We're going to lash out in anger. We're going to relationally fracture people because he's not going to say, if you do this, then do this. He's just going to assume that we all have and will. But he gives us a solution. Here's a solution. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Now, that idea of leaving something at the altar, just kind of think through it uh, in this way. That if you're sitting in church, like you all are, okay? You're just sitting in church and you remember that, that, that someone has something against you. Maybe you've done something or they've done something to you. doesn't matter the specifics. But there's a relational tension. There's a fracture in a relationship. So you're sitting in church. You remember that. Guess what he says? Leave. Leave. So right now we're going to end service and you can leave. All of us could leave right now. He says leave. Why? God's going to give us this priority. Jesus says, okay, worshiping God is important But you know what's more important in this moment? Is you go start healing your heart. Because how can you come in front of a holy, loving, gracious God and worship him with a deep fracture in your heart? God would rather you leave and go heal than come back. There's the priority list. Yes, worship God. But before you do that, leave. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. That word reconciled uh, means to create peace. And there's this great connotation in the original word that, that, that literally meant that there's this exchange that would happen. That when you go to that person, that you would exchange something. It's not one-sided, one way. It's not one person desiring to win, to conquer that other person, but that you're sitting down saying, I want to create peace. And to create peace, I understand that it's both people coming together. Jesus gives us this amazing strategy how to reconcile people. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. I'd encourage all of you to go to your Bible and read it later on today. But I'm just going to give you the strategy in image form because it's really simple. It's really simple to grasp. It's really simple to implement. But it's a whole nother thing to actually live it out in your life. You're in a scene. You're like, oh, yeah, that's easy. But why is it so difficult? This is what Jesus says. Here's a strategy to reconcile. He says there's two people. And let's say blue circle person uh, does something to red circle person. Whatever that is, you can make up the storyline in your head. But there's tension. There's a fracture that happens. Here's what uh, we naturally do as human beings. goes back to the garden. We hide and we blame. We hide and we blame. We hide and blame. Instead of going to that person, you know what we do? We do this. We surround ourselves with everyone else. Not the person that's hurt us, but we surround ourselves with everyone else. And guess what we do? We talk about that person. We gossip about that person. We put that other person down. And we verbally go after them. We hide ourselves around everyone else. And these people aren't even involved in the issue. And we blame. 
we've all done this, and we all have been right here, right? And if you're right there, right, you're irate. How in the world could they all be talking about me? They don't know me. They don't know what happened. Because we hear about it. And then guess what we do? We get a circle of people around us. And we wonder why there's so much hurt and pain around our relationships. Jesus said in Matthew 18, you know what he says? Here's the strategy. He says, if someone has wronged you, if someone has sinned against you, if someone has hurt you, that should happen. And notice that there's an arrow pointing each way because that's reconciliation. That's the commitment to say there's an exchange that needs to happen where you sit down with a person and your goal is to create peace, not to win, not to conquer, not to prove your point, but your goal is to heal our relationship. And why is that so difficult for us? Come on, we know it is. Because we've avoided like the plague. And we talk about people behind their back. We talk about people in large circles, small circles. We point out that person's faults with boldness and courage. But real courage, real courage is you sit down with that person and say, hey, we need to work this out. Jesus goes on in Matthew 18. He goes, okay, if you sit down with that person one-on-one, one-on-one, it doesn't work out. You can't get peace. He says, guess what? You bring a person in, or two, to help. Now, it's important. When you think about this person, or if it's two people to come in, that they're not on one side or the other side, they're in the middle because this person, their, their job, their goal is to help reconciliation happen, to help peace emerge in this tense, chaotic relationship. It's not me bringing my people and you bringing your people and we're going to go at it in the survival of the fittest. And you might be thinking right now, well, Chris, what if I need to get advice before this conversation, right? I hear that a lot. Well, I was talking to people about this situation because I wanted great counsel. Is it great counsel or gossip? Here's what I always do in those situations. When if someone approaches me and they have an issue with someone, I, I, I will quickly ask them, do I need to know their name? Think about that. Most of the time, you don't need to know the person's name to help give advice. Every once in a while, you might, because it might impact the situation, but most of the time, you don't need to know the person's name. The second thing is this. If someone comes to me, and they're asking for my advice, my mentorship in a, a, a relational situation, you know what I'll say to them? I'll give it to you, but you better sit down with them. Now I'm going to hold you accountable to sitting down with them. Are you sure you want to tell me now? And so this person or two people that come sit down, their goal is to help heal a relationship. And then Jesus goes on and says, if that doesn't work, then you bring it in front of the entire church. Could you imagine if we did that at Renaissance? (laughs) 
Welcome to Renaissance. It's Reconciliation Sunday. <laughs> and for your viewing pleasure, right, it would just be like horrible, right? And we, ha- we have to think through culture and context. How we would handle it here at Renaissance is we'd bring uh, together a group of spiritual leaders. And we'd have that conversation. But I, I've never had to do that. I've, I've been part of conversations where I was the one person brought into it. I've sat there. If you'll take Jesus' strategy to reconcile and heal relationships, I tell you, it will start reshaping your heart. But it takes bold courage. And there's three things I always do coming into these conversations, because I live by this. I hope you know this. If someone calls me and says, I need to talk to you about someone, you know what I say to them? Have you gone to them? Have you had a conversation with them? If they say no, guess what I say? Well, we're not meeting until you go to them. I've had people not like me because of that. That's okay. It's not my strategy. It's Jesus' strategy. So take it up with him. And I've sat down with people before that sat down and tried to heal a, a, an issue, and they couldn't. I've been that person brought in to help. And I tell you, it works. It works. The three things I do. One is pray. It sounds so simple. It's so powerful. You know what I pray for when I approach a situation like this? I don't pray uh, that that person uh, will be repentant. I don't pray that that person will see the light. I don't pray that that person uh, will confess. I don't pray for that. You know what I pray for? Me. Remember, you can't change other people. But you can do something about you. And so I pray. I go, God, please lower my pride. God, please, please lower my pride. God, please, I don't want to be uh, in my kind of human sinful flesh in this conversation. Lord, please help me to sense you. Lord, please help me not to mess this up. Lord, please help me, 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 me. Second thing I do, I seek to understand. What is that person seeing? What are the lenses in which they're looking through? What are the relational fractures in that pane of glass that they're looking through? What's going on in their life? A while back, I had one of these Matthew 18 conversations with someone, uh, someone and they had an issue with me. And the first majority of, of, of the conversation was me just asking them questions about them. And their entire world was chaos. And through just a great conversation of seeking to understand, we, we got to the issue. And the, once we got to the issue, guess what? It was so small. And we were able to talk through it. Instead of creating this big fracture through a pane of glass with our names on it, guess what? We were able to talk through it and bring clarity and healing to it. It was life-giving. It always is life-giving. It really is. And number three, to reconcile. The goal is to create peace. The goal in Matthew 18 conversations is an exchange happens.
You might be sitting there right now and you have a fractured relationship with someone. My challenge for you is this. Go sit down knee to knee, toe to toe with them. Start working on that healing process. And watch God start reshaping your heart. For some of you, you have some pretty deep fractures relationally. I mean, really deep fractures relationally. Maybe from childhood, maybe from a a, a previous marriage. You you know the specifics. And uh, maybe you need someone else with God to help your heart. I talked about John Walker. Uh, He saved my marriage. He saved me as a dad, a husband, as a pastor. I mean, the guy with God's hand. So I'm a firm believer in counseling. And uh, we have a counseling center part of Renaissance Church. And uh, you can email us at cares at renaissancechurch.org. You can talk with me after the service. You can find another staff person. Uh, Our counselor uh, has has gotten so busy that uh, we've had to add uh, days to her schedule, which I think is awesome. I really do think it's awesome because that means people are working through their, their hurts. Maybe for you, you need to get into some counseling to help that healing process. The second thing I would love to share with you is, and Vanessa mentioned it at the beginning, is the project. And here's the power of church. It's easy to walk in on a, a weekend service and sit in a row and just kind of sit there and listen to great songs, great music, funny video, maybe a message that might help you in some way, and then leave. But God wants us around, circles together, relationally connected together, and that's what the project's about. I sat, uh, I experienced the project, the last one, it was four weeks, and I tell you, our table is right down here, and the people I got to know around the table and their stories and what God has done and is doing through their lives was just inspiring. How I was challenged spiritually was, it was just such a significant four weeks in my life, personally. And we have another one starting up in April, and you can go out into the cafe and get signed up uh, today. Clay Porter will be out there, and he will answer any of your questions. But again, God wants to bring people together to do this thing called life together. There's one piece that I didn't get to today, and it's going to be the piece I talk about next week. It's the one piece that, honestly, on your own, you can't do. I'm just going to tell you that. It's going to have to be through God's power and God's strength and the Holy Spirit within you. But there's one more piece And it's critical to reconcile relationships. It's just critical. And if if we keep committed to putting this one piece into place in our relationships, guess what? We can go from seeing the world like this to seeing how God how God sees this world. And we're gonna talk about it next week. Because God wants us to see through his lenses and experience this world through how he sees it. And I tell you, it's possible to start healing the fractured relationships in our world and start experiencing glimpses of how God sees this world. So that's next week. So I encourage you to come back because it can transform your relational world. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together today. I pray for everyone here because I know that uh, there's a lot of complicated relationships Lord, I pray for the courage for them to sit down with that person, our persons, that, Lord, um, 
you don't want us to hide and, and to blame in our relational uh, uh, worlds. You want us to sit down with people and create peace. So, Lord, I just pray for that. I pray for uh, just bold conversations to happen. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.